Welcome to Overcome Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Carrie Chandler, former USA Judo, number one in US on her prime year. And some of the stories that she is going to share with us today are absolutely fantastic. One of those is a completely shoulder replacement and back to the mats for the international level competition only after 10 weeks. So stay right there. We'll be right back. Welcome to Overcome Podcast, my friend, Carrie Chandler. Thank you very much for joining today. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Um, talking about Overcome, we, you have so many stories that I just couldn't uh, invite you because you are like the <laughs> personification of Overcome, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in many yeah, ways, in many ways. Yes, yeah. yes. So very excited to, to, to have you. Um, I was actually just watching one of your matches in 2007 London where yes. you won uh, it's funny. a beautiful, a beautiful yeah. Uchimata uh, and it was a counter. Oh, okay. It was, a, okay, it was okay. beautiful. It's funny, uh, since we're talking about overcoming, you know, that tournament for me, it was, I had to overcome a lot to, at that tournament. It was just such an awful uh, memory. You know, when I was competing, I started off at 57 kilos, which is 125 pounds, and I started judo um, older in life. So I started, and I was 16, almost 17. My dad had a, a small judo school, and he taught judo, so I knew what it was my whole life. And I think I did it for like a year when I was five, but then I stopped, um, and I restarted again one day uh, when I was in high school. I went with him, so I, I really, to me, I started when I was 16. So anyway, I, I was 57 kilos first, and I was number two in the country, but of course, when you're number two, you want to be number one. And um, I couldn't beat this this uh, girl in front of me, Valerie Gote. Um, you know, she was just better than me. So I decided to cut down to uh, 114, which was a really hard cut for me. I'm um, five foot six, and mm -hmm. I was probably always around 60 kilos. So it was eight kilos I was losing, which is just absurd for a girl, especially. But I would just cut a lot of weight and cut a lot of weight and I was that tournament man I cut so much weight I didn't eat for five days before I fought oh and, and wow. it's not like it's not like when you watch Survivor and well that's a bad example but <laughs> when, when you we've been watching a lot of Survivor later it's not like when you oh okay I think I could not eat for five days it was not eating for five days but having to work out twice a day with plastics on like during those five days and wow. sweating and like crazy man, I just I felt so bad I remember um taking probably the first ever selfie because back in 2007 that wasn't a thing I remember I was in the um, stands and I took a picture I had a camera and I like turned it around and took a picture of myself because I wanted to remember like don't ever forget how bad you feel right now because like you did this you didn't do a good job cutting weight and really it's like I did a pretty good job cutting weight I was just cutting much too much weight so I gosh I, I just remember burning in all my matches I could just barely stand up and you know I had a really serious shoulder injury uh, my my arm would uh, go out of the socket and I would put it back in and, and during that tournament the British Open that the only other match of me online is in the semifinals I was fighting this girl and during the first exchange I armbarred her and she tapped and, and um, 
She did this to me the week before in Belgium too. She tapped and then she told the ref, "Oh, I didn't tap. I didn't." Really? Tap. She did well, this. That's yes, terrible it was cheating. So yes, yes, it was totally cheating. And so she did it again, and I said to the referee, "Like she tapped, and she just tapped me once hard." So in judo, you have to tap twice. But if you're getting armbarred or you're getting choked and you tap once hard, you're tapping. You're you're submitting. The ref will call it. Like you're giving up. And so. It's a dangerous game, but it's a really local thing that some people do. So anyway, she was doing this move to me, and she taps during the very first exchange of the semifinal. And I'm like, oh, thank God, like quick match. And then, of course, she says she doesn't tap. I'm telling the ref she tapped. I'm asking the side ref, come on. And she's she was British, and she was like, oh, not again. You know, and she was all like, because it had just happened the week before in Belgium. Um, so wow. anyway, they don't call it. So now this, this very quick match turned, of course, into a war, and during... During the match, my shoulder came out of the socket um, twice, and it was awful. Like, she came in for this attack. It would come out all the time, and I, I can't remember quite. She did something. She came in for an attack, and I fell. When I put my arms out, like, it came out, and I was like, oh, you can see me during the match. I'll, I'll send you the link after. Um, I put it back in. So I put it back in, and I kept fighting, and then we go into overtime. And, like, the first exchange of overtime, I tried this Kataguruma. It came out again, but it popped right back in. And then finally I won, like, deep into overtime um so it was it was rough yeah <laughs> it was rough but i i overcame and I, absolutely I that, and, so. and and that was 2007 january 2007 yes. yeah uh yes. and on the same year you won the u.s national championship in miami yes i did i did so, um, so that's I, pretty that amazing my, because my, that was in january yeah. and, the, and the national championship was in april Yes, yes, it was. So you got just you just got used to the weight. You didn't have to cut anymore. Um, no, I started. Um, it was kind of rough for me. I so I moved down in 2004 after I didn't make the Athens Olympic team. You know, I was so focused on um, beating this girl, this Olympian, Ellen Wilson, Ellen Wilson, and I, I had just been in judo a few years at that point. And I, but I was a psycho. I, I was an animal. I would train every day. I would get up at five in the morning, and I would run and I would just work so hard and train so hard and then I would work all day and then I would train we would drive an hour and a half to practice and I just would just work as hard as I could and I was so focused on beating this girl Ellen and she had beat me I think four times made four or five times in a row and then I finally about a few months before the trials I beat her um at this big tournament there's a picture of me and I'm going yeah and that's after mm -hmm. I beat uh her for the first time so in my mind I was like I could do it like I'm gonna make the Olympic team and then this other girl she wasn't a girl she was a woman but this other woman uh came out of retirement she was an olympian um and i just wasn't focused on her i was so focused on ellen for four years and just a few weeks before the trials this other olympian came out of retirement and uh wound up beating me at the trials so it it just stopped. you know i didn't even get a chance to fight ellen because i was so focused on her that i um anyway so so i didn't win that trials in 04 so then I decided okay I'm gonna move down because this other girl's staying and the Olympian at 52 which is we, we do kilos so 52 kilos which is 114 the she was retiring and I was like I, I sweat a lot like I think I could do it so I moved down in 04 and I was number one I mean right away I think after two or three tournaments I won um I was number one in the country which is really cool for me because I had started judo basically four years earlier, just started it, you know, and wow. it, to me, it's one of the hardest sports in the world. And I, so you got, you got your back belt in four years. 
Yes. Um, yeah, I did. Wow. I got it when I was 19. Um, but it was, I mean, I don't want to say it was easy. I just was training like a professional athlete. Like we lived, um, I'm from Massachusetts and my dad, uh, said, Oh, I know. I told him like, I, you know, I want to be really good at judo dad. And he was like, well, I know this Olympian, his name's Jason Morris and he is retiring and he's starting a club and he lives an hour and a half away in, in Scotia, New York. So we, I said, great, like take me there. And so we uh, made that drive uh, three times a week to start. Jason just started his club. I was basically one of his very first members. So we would drive an hour and a half there, practice for two hours, then drive an hour and a half home. And then I would have to get up and I worked at a deli at 6 a.m. So I would get up and um, go to work all day. And it was just, it was hard, but I wanted it. You know, mm -hmm. I was training like, like a professional. And, and I think after a few months, Jason had this group of kids, myself included, and he saw like, oh, I have something here. And, and he changed it to five nights a week. And then um, just shortly after I turned 18, I I wound up moving there. I moved to Scotia, New York. So um, yeah, I did get my, my black belt. I think I was already a black belt when I moved there. I know I got it when I was 19. But anyway, yeah, it wasn't like... Um, like this Herculean feat. It was just like I, I was training like full time, like a professional athlete. Yeah, you were putting out a lot of hours just, in the mat. Yes. Yeah. And then making leaps and, and, you know, just leaps and bounds, these gains. It was like, it was, yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the um, experience perspective, now that you are a coach, that you uh, sensei mm -hmm. in teaching, mm -hmm. do you have the same adrenaline I, I'm gonna ask this how uh, 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 do I know the answer but do you have the same adrenaline as you used to have when you were competing uh, when you are teaching uh, the kick um, okay so I as you know if you know me and um, I'm kind of a psycho and uh, <laughs> I think that I probably have more adrenaline as a coach and because I'm just so much more into it because I I feel like I can help them and I'm I'm fighting for them and we're fighting together. So I'm just like and then like, you know, there's a lot to deal with when your husband I say husband everyone, I'm gonna say that this whole podcast. He's we're not married, but I've been with Nick Del Papo, who's a two time Olympian. He was on Yuri's uh podcast for thirteen years. So I'm gonna say husband. Um so when your husband is a two time Olympian and, you know, you yourself were a former world, uh, excuse me, na uh, number one in the U.S. And, and you're very well known. Then you you people are kind of always cheering against your kid or wanting your kid to lose. And it's it's hard because these kids, they didn't do anything and they don't know. And so that I'm even more ramped up because there's that mm. pressure. And then like, so, you know, it's 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 difficult. And But I, I would say, yes, to answer your question, I am. I think more of a psycho <laughs> as a coach than I was as an athlete. And I was a pretty big psycho, but I just, in terms of, of um, just really wanting it and living and dying with them out there, I, I, it, I, it's so does, does it bring level. more fulfillment to you nowadays uh, than when um, you were yeah, younger it, competing? It kills me to say yes. It kills me to say yes, but yes, it does. And it's so hard for me because I, all I ever wanted in, in my life was to be an Olympian and I didn't do it. You know, I was an alternate twice, which sounds great to normal people, but when you're so close, um, it just, it really sucked for me. So like I, I, that's all I wanted. And, and I knew, I knew always that I was going to get into coaching because before I even retired, I was the one, like I was kind of like the team captain at our 
club and I was always like coaching on the side and, and in my day when we went to Europe there wasn't um so a lot of times there wasn't a U.S. coach there. So the other studs on the team, these guys, you know, these Olympians already, they would always ask me to coach them. And I had that same mindset, that same mentality. I was the same carry back then. So I knew that I was going to get into coaching um, when I retired from, from competing. But I also knew, like, you know, you don't ever want to be, oh, I, I'm going to be the coach because – that's going to be, you know, fulfilling for me because I didn't make it. Like, I, I knew, and it sucked. Like, I, I still wrestle with not um, Well, but but the, the good thing is that nowadays game. you can still have this dream of coaching a kid that will make it to the Olympics. Yes. So that's, that's, that's yes. huge. Yes. Yeah, and that has replaced my dream. So, you know, um, Nick and I have just started our very first uh, judo program. It's a, a judo after school program. So now, you know, we've coached a lot of kids through throughout the years and a, a lot of adults too, but they've never been ours. Like we've never coached anyone from from zero. And so when we started this after school program, we were we are coaching these kids that have never done judo. They walked in the door for the first time with us, learn how to tie their belt with us, learn how to, you know, fall with us, learn their first throw. So it's it's a lot harder than taking someone else's student you know if you have a student who goes to a camp they're already they're already who they are you're just polishing them and you're helping them get better and you're giving them tips but starting from zero it's a lot of pressure and it's so hard but I I really love it it's so cute so we obviously before COVID we had a, a super flourishing program we, we started in August I think we had four students when we started and then when we when we ended when the shutdown happened in March we were up to 25 which is huge for us because it's um it just grew so yep. quickly and this is um and it's a big it's a big commitment for the kids and the parents it's an after school it's basically replacing after school mm -hmm. daycare so some kids their parents uh work so they go they either stay at their school or they get shuttled to like an after school daycare and they're there until 6 p.m. when their parents pick them up so we're we're replacing that like our big thing is like say no to daycare say yes to judo so we have a judo van and we pick them up at the schools at 3 p.m. and we take them to the dojo and their parents pick them up at the dojo at 6 p.m. but I'm getting uh, carried away but anyway so the these kids that we've been um, coaching they started at zero and they started competing with us and you know a bunch of them are winning gold medals and it's just really cute and it's so fulfilling and it's it's just nothing nothing could really top that now, i get a lot out with, of that with it, all it your experience as an athlete competing internationally meeting a lot of people and now coaching what are some of the attributes that you see uh for a successful judoka to to make fruit the ranks i mean there's a lot of uh, things that they have to overcome they have to be they have yeah. to have a discipline but there are yeah. also some mindset and mental toughness going on right so what what do you think mm -hmm. is more important uh, to succeed so i think i think to succeed on an international level like you said the hard work you know doing all that 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 just go, you have to have that like before you even start competing you already have to be someone who knows how to work hard who's going to get up at 6 a.m or stay late do that extra that's already you already should have that if you're going to start competing on the IJF world tour what I think that a lot of these kids and parents don't know that they're signing up for and what they truly have to overcome is is the part where you're in France by yourself and, and you show up maybe France really has it together so maybe they're a poor example maybe you show up to um, 
Uzbekistan or something and there's no one there to pick you up at the airport, okay, and you're by yourself and the other teams and, and there's no coach. And so you have to know like, oh my God, what do I do? And, and you call USA Judo, but it's two in the morning and no one can help you. And that kind of stuff, unfortunately, because we are a, a sport that is self-funded, we don't have um, a team of coaches and managers and staff that takes care of all that for you. So you're, you're, you could literally be by yourself in another country, of course, you don't speak the language. There's no one there. And it's it's 1 o'clock in the morning. How do you get to your hotel? And that kind of stuff, it's like people are not used to that. And they have panic attacks. And I've gotten so many middle-of-the-night messages from athletes. Oh, my God, we're in China. They dropped me at the wrong hotel. What do I do? And it's just really – it's it gives you anxiety. It's something that you have to know how to, how to handle. And then so going further, when you're at the tournament – if you have a problem, and, and not to say that there's not a coach at every tournament, but quite frequently you will be at a, a tournament by yourself with no coach. Yes, maybe some other competitors will be there, but you have to also figure out, like, well, how am I going to – who's going to – no one's going to help you if you get a bad call, okay? There's no – it's very difficult. You know, people give um, – oh, how come you have such great judo and you don't win? And he's like, man, you don't know what it's like being by yourself out there, you're fighting one of the best guys in the world, and in his chair is an Olympic champ. So maybe you're fighting an Olympic champ, and he's being coached by an Olympic champ, and in the back room, he's got a doctor who's a master of sport, and a psychologist, and all of this stuff, and it's just you, and it's you, and you're broke, and you're tired, and your card got declined, and nobody picked you up at yeah. the airport, and you have to get yourself ready mentally to overcome all of that, and I think that is what really that um that grind is something that is not for everyone a lot of people can't do it and a lot of you know kids they start off hot and once you get on the world tour it's really it's so unforgiving so you have to be able to to grind through all that and then sometimes you're just hoping you're going sometimes that's happening and you're injured or you get injured at a training camp and there's no one there there's no americans to help you you're maybe your buddies with a canadian you know when i was competing we we're very good friends with the canadians and so their doctor thankfully would would help me out quite a bit um but it's just you know or or we would our coach would always tell us if okay if there's no one around and you need help go to the japanese team like the japanese team will help you and that's true they would so it's like like you know it's a good community but it's just it's, it's tough um, it's tough kind yeah, of things for sure it's very difficult and a lot of people aren't ready you know ready to to do that or not it's not maybe not that's not the right word not ready to do it they're just kind of it's, blown it's, away it's, it's it a really new experience for them right so you they know? probably never never were totally. exposed to such a situation so they don't know what to do exactly yeah. now yes. now going back yeah, exactly. to uh, uh, let's say you probably seen some good talent people uh, athletes that started yes. but they were not able to make mm -hmm. to the next level um, do you yep. draw any type of pattern uh, around yeah, these I, people that mm -hmm. uh, were not able to make the next level? What what they were missing? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now. They were missing money. Um, <laughs> it's it's no, it's it's true. It's one of the another hard thing is when you're signing up to be a U.S. judo athlete is that um, these trips that we go on. So they hardly anyone is funded. Hardly even when you make it, if you get injured. So Nick has been fully funded at sometimes, and then sometimes not funded at all. And even if and when you make it and you're you're an Olympian like Nick, they they are funding four or five people. And if you get injured or your ranking slips a little bit, 
they might not fund you for the next one. Now you got to come up with five grand. Oh, and then there's another tournament in three weeks. That's four grand. And there's one two weeks after that. That's two grand. So if you don't have rich, wealthy parents, or if you're not well off yourself, you have to work and come up with that. You know, one of my good friends on the team is Nina Kutro Kelly. She's our number one heavyweight. She works, no one helps her financially. She works all by herself and she's puts in like 70 hour weeks and then still has to train and um, it's really a labor of love and to, to compete. So I've seen a ton of talented kids. I would even go so far as to say, we're not always fielding the most talented team. We're fielding the people who can make it through or they've got, they're in the right clubs or with the right connections, with the right sponsors. They have psycho parents or girlfriends like myself who will you know, beat that drum and get sponsorships for you. And th and this is a year-round full-time gig. I mean, it costs about, I would say, at least 50000 probably sometimes closer to $80,000 a year just for the tournament expenses. If you want to compete enough that you're putting yourself in Olympic, uh, making an Olympic wow. team potential. So, like, yes, obviously everybody can just, you know, go on, go on a one-off or go on – Oh, the South American tour, which is a big a popular thing for some of our athletes is there's three tournaments in April that are kind of easier. And so a lot of people go on the South American tour, but it doesn't put you on the Olympic team. And it's ultimately kind of a waste of money. You need to be ready to compete 10 to 12 times a year at the biggest events. And then on top of that, go to four to six training camps. So you're abroad 16, 18 times a year. And each one of those trips is probably going to cost you three grand. And then you've got all your bills to pay at home. So I would say that what's what's stopping these kids from coming, you know, coming down the pipeline is is definitely financial because you have super talented kids, uh, but a lot of them are are uh, underprivileged youth that don't. There's just no way that they can come up with eighty grand a year yeah, to well, compete. You know, like yeah. both. It's so it's. I would say that's the number one problem. Um, in my you know, in my um, opinion, that's the, the number one issue that all athletes are going to run into. And, and you have to know that going in. And if you know that going in, you can make a plan. I used to complain and say like, oh, it's USA Judo should be getting this money for us and we should do this and we should do that. And it just, it is what it is. It's not happening. It's been years. I retired 12 years ago. This was an issue when I was competing and that it was an issue the whole time I was competing. So I was competing for 10 years. So it's like, it's, this is not going to stop. It's not going to go away. So you basically have to take that on you have to crowdfund or you know fortunately for nick he's built up such a base over the years he does a lot of clinics and camps and he's always working always hustling um and and making that money so that he can he's never missed a tournament which is something i'm really yep, proud of yep. um he's never missed a tournament and it's because we're always figuring it out or just just crowdfunding we, we just owe a lot to our our friends and family in the judo community because i think gofundme and paypal and all these things it's like the the best thing since sliced bread that's the best thing to happen to athletes because it's so hard to find one person to give you three thousand dollars but you know it's it's not as hard to find 30 people to give you a hundred dollars you know so it's easier to especially if you get experience and then you, you build up a good group of sponsors so i i think that is uh it's huge and that's something that all of our um kids yeah. coming up you, you touch to, you touch on one of the uh, points that i always con concern myself mainly because of what happened to me you said if you get injury uh during a competition there is no one there for you have you ever got injury yeah. during a competition uh that <laughs> you had to to walk yes, away from <laughs> the match because you just couldn't continue um no but i i've had 
injuries at a tournament. Like I was at this um, tournament, the Fall Classic, once, and I um, I was really good on the grounds. Um, and so I had I did this move called Sankaku. It's a it's like a leg triangle, and my I think a lot of this had to do with cutting weight. My legs were so tight, but I think my bones and everything, I was so dry. When I climbed up, I, like, blew my own knee out, and it hurt so bad, and, like, the medics came on. I knew I blew it out because I had blown it out before, and I – so I got up, and I finished the match, and I beat the girl. I threw her for a point. I mean, I was crying, hysterically crying, I, but I finished that match, and I – then I pulled out of the tournament, so I couldn't continue – um, if also, I, a funny story is that happened to me the very first time I fought 52 kilos. Same thing. I had just come off a knee injury. I was really fragile um, during my career. And I think it's because I started judo so late. I was 16, 17 when I started. So I didn't have those years of muscle memory. And my, I like to say, like, I was like a librarian trapped, trapped in an mm-hmm. athlete's body. You know, I was just like so fragile. Um, but so this, my very first tournament making 52. I was uh, fighting this young girl, and I blew my knee out, and I lost to this girl, and then I had to fight all the way back through. And I'm thinking, here I am thinking, like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move down, and I am going to crush it. I'm gonna be number one. I, blah, blah, blah. This four, I lost to this 14 year old girl. My very first match at 52, blew my knee out. I come all the way back. I have to fight this 14 year old girl twice in the finals. I beat her. I mean, it was a war. I think I choked her. She didn't tap. She went unconscious. Well, that girl was Kayla Harrison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Who, yeah, who's our obviously uh, Olympic champion. But um, so yeah, that that was uh, that moment though. But that was a, a funny injury story for me because it was it was Kayla. <laughs> did, did did you ever fix that knee or? Yeah, I've had um, I had a total reconstruction uh, ACL reconstruction on my right knee and then my left knee. I didn't, I, I, but I'm pretty sure I did the same thing. It was my left knee. And then I have like Baker cysts in the back that they're always filling up and I would get them drained, which is just so awful because they drain it through the kneecap. Ugh, oh. It's just this big needle. It's just terrible. But I, I didn't, I only have one knee surgery. Uh, the but other ones did, I would did, just. Did, did you do the surgery during your uh, competitive years or after you retire? Yeah, I did it during my, uh, it was, um, I did it, it was funny, I did it, and then I made my first junior world team, so I was 19 when I had this, the first surgery, um, my, the only knee surgery I've had, How, but yes, how, long, how long were you off because of the, uh, because of the it surgery? It was six, six months, and um, ultimately, that's why I didn't fix my other knees, is because I didn't, I just didn't have time, time wasn't on my side, I always felt like I was a little older, getting into the game, and I... I just was injured all the time. And if you want to fix these things, it takes months at a time. However, I was wrong. Like I, my shoulder would come out. It's come out of the socket probably 60 times and I would keep, pull it back in and I would keep fighting and I would keep going. And then ultimately when I had this, um, surgery, you're, when you have a shoulder surgery, you're just, oh, you can't see, but you're just supposed to get these like little scopes. And I went in and I got this, like, I woke up, um, it was supposed to be an hour and a half. I woke up, it was a six and a half hour surgery. I think I'm in a medical oh, book. Wow. Um, they basically said that my socket had, because it came out so many times, every time I would put it in, I, a little bit would chip out. And so um, my socket, I had chipped away half. So it was like, they said it's like having a bowl and then take away half the bowl and there's a tennis ball, which is your a socket, where your shoulder just keeps falling out because it's, it's, it's in half a bowl. So they had to totally reconstruct my socket and then I had a torn labrum and a just a, a bunch of stuff and that was 
that was pretty much the end of my career. That was in the middle of my um, of my Olympic run. And, and what's 2008? No, that was 2007, June of 2007, but I was 52. And so the way you qualified for the Olympics in my day, um, the way you qualified was through the Pan Am Union. And so, mind you, I was Pan Am champion. I uh, won the Pan Am's at 52 kilos, and I was in the quarters of the French Open and the Czech Open and the Dutch Open, I, I, everything. I was I was doing very well at 52. I was um, number nine in the world. They had the same world ranking list that they have now. It just wasn't official. So I was top 10 in the world, um, and then I had to get this surgery, and I uh, the, the girl under me who had to qualify the division at the Pan Am's, and she didn't qualify. And so then when I came back, I... Um, Unfortunately, I thought, okay, there's no way for me to make it at 114, this category that I cut down to that I've been suffering at for the last three years. So I moved up to 50 uh, with just a few months before the trials. I, I fought at a couple tournaments, the U.S. Open and the Rendezvous. I did very well. I medaled at both, and I was I got myself up to – I was ranked number two in the – in the country at 57, just after a few tournaments. Um, you did. You did had one one tournament as a 63. I'm I'm looking at here. Yeah, yeah, that was the um, Morris Cup. I was just that's our home tournament, so I just didn't. I, I fought a few times at 63, but that was uh, it was just a really small tournament. Like I, th that was our home tournament. So it's like we put down the mats. We we're like cooked all the food that they were selling. We're refing, and then mm -hmm. we're like fighting later in the day. So like, <laughs> also you could. Um, enter in multiple divisions so I, I think my coach just made me uh, fight up or I was already too, too heavy uh, to fight was, was, was like, that competition up, after the surgery? Uh, was that in mm, 07? No, uh, yeah 08 actually I had my oh, 08 yes so I had my surgery in June of 07 and it was supposed to be so it's supposed to take you out for a year it's a year surgery and um, the, like I said the way you qualify for the Olympics was through the Pan Ams or at the World Championships. So they said, this is going to take a year. And so I, after three months, the World Championships were in three months. So I told my coach, like, I'm going to fight in that tournament and I'm going to try to do something crazy. And I'm going to try to to make the Olympic team to qualify the weight at 52. So I fought in Rio de Janeiro um, at the World Championships. It was my last ever tournament at 52. And I, I fought three months after I had a total That's shoulder crazy. replacement. You know, wow. I say that. I, I, I say that, and people, like doc, my doctor friends are like, oh, no, you didn't have a shoulder replacement. Like, you tore a ligament. And I'm like, no, no, no. I had a total shoulder replacement. They reconstructed my shoulder. How it, did you do that? I mean, were, did you? I'm just, That's I was crazy. Just, I have a really strong mind. I have a really strong mind. I had a strong mind. I really just. Um, well, did they, did I, you feel I, any I pain really, uh, for the? No, because you know, at, to be honest, it felt so good because it was back in. But it was the pain. The pain and the suffering was in the, in the weight cutting. And it, I went down there to Brazil, and uh, you know, I think I actually fought. Um, so USA Judo, they they found out like, oh, she's gonna fight at the Worlds, and they they said to my coach like, hey, we know she had this big surgery. Where she's gonna have to prove that she's ready. Like she can't just go fight at the Worlds. Like people were like talking. And long story short, I wound up. I had a fight at this tournament called the. The fall classic i think 10 weeks or yeah 10 weeks after it was two weeks before the world after this shoulder surgery just to prove that i could fight and so like i fought i fought 57 kilos and i think i ended up losing and i was like devastated i got second um and i think feel like i kind of got screwed whatever i lost to some girl her dad's a ref and anyway i but it, i was like 
oh, they're all going to say they beat me, whatever, whatever. My coach was like, Carrie, you just, you got off a gurney and fought yeah, in the tournament. Yeah, that, that like, was a, a huge accomplishment after only 10 weeks. Yeah, the question was, is, were you actually yeah, training? No, it really was. Were you training? No, no, I wasn't training. I mean, you, you could do, I was in a gi and I would do uchikomi. So I would do uchikomi, but obviously, as you know, as a judoka, there's only so much uchikomi you can do, but I wasn't run during just a few weeks at the end. So like for the first eight weeks, probably nothing running, a lot of running. And um, even that, I think I had to wait a month. So the graph was tight. Um, so no, I, I was hardly training. I just did a lot of training at the end. And I was just, I have a really, really strong uh, mind and I just put my mind to it. And unfortunately, it didn't pay off because I fought at the world and I lost. You know, I lost to Italy. Um, oh, I think it did pay off girl, because uh, you were able to experience that, um, and, and that's yes. huge. And you got second second place. So yeah, I know yeah. that you you want to win, but that was a big victory in my book. Yeah, mentally. So now, like at the time, I was just devastated and crushed, and it like just molded a lot it just gave me a lot of nightmares and like even still it's just stuff that I deal with um but now now that I'm 39 years old and I'm not 26 you know it's it's I can see it's made me who I am and and it's made me so tough and a lot of stuff that I've gone through with Nick um or just with USA Judo whoever any problems I've had I just have this like iron trap of a mind like I am I'm just so confident that no one's gonna like get the best of me in life or just in in a bad situation no one's gonna like put me somewhere I don't want to be and I think looking back now it's like yes that's why I can overcome anything like for example COVID shutting down yeah. our business you know that we just started I, I'm I know we're gonna be fine and a lot a lot of that has to do with my strong mind also and, and, a lot you, and you are extremely positive with. as well I noticed that yeah yeah I, well I try to stay positive because it's like what good is it going to do? You're in it. So like if you're if you're crying and feeling sorry for yourself, like it doesn't matter. Like you're in it. So I I do a lot of self-talk and it's like you can it's just easier to get through things with a good attitude than it is with a bad attitude because you're going to go through it anyway. So that's what I would say. That's what I say to my kids when they're afraid to fight or that's what I would say to myself when I would self-talk when I was afraid to fight. I would be like, "Look, you're going out there anyway." Okay, scared or not scared, we're here and you're about you're walking out there. So you have to walk out with a strong mind because you're going out anyway. It would be one thing if you could say, oh, no, we're going to not do this. We're going to quit. We're going to run away and hide in our closet for the rest of our life. But you're not. We're here. We're, you're up next and you're walking out there. So get your mind right. And like it helps the kids, you know, and it, so, it would help me. So too the, the, what did you do if you remember back then on the first month that you couldn't do anything? Did you... Did you just stay quiet or were you already planning what to do next or for this for, shoulder? For my yes. rehab, you mean? Um, I think I, gosh, I remember that first month I was really supposed to do like nothing because it, it, it's like your graphs in there and it has to like tighten up. But I would. Um, yeah, the, the only, the only, I yeah, the only I reason I ask this is because I don't see you stopping. So. <laughs> no, I, no, I think I got on the bike, like not the the upright bike where you're sitting and your feet are like in front of you I think I did a lot of a lot of biking I mean it was so all I remember it was just uh, if you've ever had shoulder surgery it's one of the most painful things like I'm tough I have a really high pain tolerance and, and the shoulder surgery not even it going out of the socket which is also awful but the surgery it's excruciating I mean and I just woke up in pain and I could feel like Wong! and it was just so awful um, those first few weeks, I think I was just in so much pain. They actually, I had a drip that I had to wear around my neck 
and they put it in my arm and it was like a pain blocker, a drip, but it it kept you nauseous 22 hours out of the day, but it, it helped with the pain. So I pulled it out and it was, cause I couldn't deal. I, I hate nausea. I'm like not a nausea person. So I think I kept it in a few days and then I was like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do it. I can't eat. I can't look. I'm nauseous all the time. So I like pulled it out. It was like, this cord was three feet long. It was Anyway, I was wow. in, I was in so much pain that first few weeks. I think I don't I don't think I did much. I think I did the rec- the bike. Um, but, but in, in any but then, like, in any moment, you got into that dark place of depression or t- none of that. No, no. I think after my career, so like this happens. The the me trying to qualify at fifty two. This happens. Um, I, my last tournament was the Worlds in, I think it was September of 07. And then right away I knew, oh, okay, the, the division's not qualified. So all my hard work, moving down, cutting all that weight, like sacrifice, all that was gone. Just out the window, gone. And I knew it. And then in October, there's two tournaments to get me qualified. You have to be in the top eight in the country to make the Olympic trial. So I know, well, 57 is qualified. That's the 125, the next category up. So I know already... In Rio de Janeiro, I knew. I mean, I felt sorry for myself a little bit. You know, I am having a caipirinha <laughs> in, uh, on the beach. <laughs> um, feeling a little sorry for myself that night. But I knew in Rio. Like, I knew. I think I was looking out at the ocean on my, my balcony. I knew, like, okay, I gotta, we got to go. Like, let's go. I got I to gotta fight 57. I got to do good at these next two tournaments. That's, that could be my only chance. And so I already knew, like, okay, on to the next, on to the next. And so I fought in the um, the U.S. Open and the Rendezvous, and I uh, medaled at both those tournaments, and I was number two in the country at 57. So then then right away I was like, okay, like now I got to try to – I got to try to beat this girl that I can't beat, this girl, this Olympian, uh, Valerie Gauthier. I got to I gotta beat her, uh, try to make my first Olympic team, try to do it. Like hopefully this will all be worth it. And, you know, unfortunately – it did not work out for me, but I, you know, I went to the trials and I thought, um, I thought I was going to fight my teammate first round the whole time. My teammate, Hannah Martin, great girl. I just always mm-hmm. beat her. I was, I beat her five times and I just, I thought like, okay, I'm going to have to fight Hannah. I'll beat her. And then I'm going to have to fight Marty Malloy in the semi. I'll beat her. And then, then I'm going to have to beat Val. And then something happened with one of the girls got injured. So they take the top eight and I was number two. And two fights, seven first round. So one of the girls got injured, the number six girl. And then all of a sudden, Marty moved to number seven. And I wasn't going to fight my teammate, Hannah, first round anymore. Now I had to fight Marty Malloy. And I knew this. I think I found out like a week or two, maybe even just a week before the trials. Um, okay, crap. Now I'm going to have to fight Marty first round. So like I I showed up at the tournament and I beat Marty. Um, and I was in the semifinal with my t- teammate, Hannah Martin. Who I was so sure it's, it's such a bad thing to say. Like I just was sure I was gonna beat her, so I kind of was like, "All right, how am I gonna beat Val in the final?" And I uh, unfortunately, that's not how sports works. And Hannah had other plans, and she promptly threw me for a pwn in the semifinal, and that was that was it. Then I was <laughs> then I was retired. <laughs> so that, it didn't it didn't work out for me. There, if but, you if um, you had to compare yeah. the the knee surgery with this uh, shoulder. Do you think that the recovery for the shoulder was uh, worse or the, the, the knee? So, I honestly, the the knee was more traumatic for me because it was my first major surgery. The, the shoulder surgery was a much more extensive surgery. It was a much bigger deal. But I was already a professional athlete at that time, and I was already 
ready to take that on and I had I was Carrie I had my strong mind but when the knee happened to me it was 99 and I had only been in judo about six months um and I knew I wanted to make the 2000 junior world team so I was just devastated like I remember the doctor calling me to tell me that my ACL was torn you know I got an MRI and the doctor called me and I hung up on him when he told me my ACL was torn and I was just crying and it was just I was it was, it was so dramatic like I was I was like I told my you know my dad back then I said like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna become a physical therapist I think for a short time I wanted to become a, a physical therapist or a sports psychologist because of the trauma of that yeah. of the knee injury so it was was worse for me because I was not as prepared and I was just a kid who started judo six months ago and I didn't realize like hey suck it up baby this is part of sports injuries are part of sports so I it was and, and, it was a really and, and since it was so traumatic <laughs> uh, how was your comeback did you hesitate in using that leg very much did you change um, your, your game or anything no so I think before it happened I was a little more fearless and then once I came back my coach Uh, ACL is a very common injury in sports, and my coach, um, Terry Takamori, she's one of my coaches, she had, I think, double ACL surgeries, and so she, um, they really prepared me, and they really, they already had me doing Uchikomis at three months, four months, I was doing Uchikomis, and then my therapist was like, okay, my physical therapist, she was like, what do you need to do? And I'm like, I'm worried about twisting and jerking. So my last several weeks, she had me like twisting and jerking with weighted balls, and I was really confident in the knee. Um, I was really confident when I came back and and it was like uh I it was just like time didn't really pass for me I I remember I was so worried that I wasn't going to make the junior world team and I had to win the collegiate nationals when I came back and I think that was my first tournament and I did I won it so I I I well I actually no yeah I won it and I won the collegiate nationals to make me the number one junior and then like they didn't pick the team till later in the summer but I winning the collegiate nationals was huge for me um And I did, I won that. And then I um, ended up making the team later on in the summer. So it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard uh, physically. I think just mentally, right. I wasn't prepared for, and, it was And really, you touched another important so point. And I've seen you talking about this um, the other day uh, when you watched that documentary about gold medal. Um, you're talking about mental uh -huh. health, uh, which is a, is a pretty big deal because yeah. there's so much pressure on athletes. Uh, and I yeah. and I see that you always wanted the gold, and everyone wants the gold, and and it feels like even if you yeah. get second or third, it's almost like nothing. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's so hard. Like I can't even. I just so you know, I never talk about my career. So like you, I, this thing is probably the second time I've ever talked about this stuff. I um, so it, it's it's that hard. It's that hard, and it's so hard for me, and especially because like. You know, when, once you retire, now I've retired 12 years ago, so people don't remember. They don't know how hard you work. They don't, so I, there's kids now, they'll fight, and anybody can just sign up and fight on the IJF World Tour. So these kids will fight in one or two tournaments, and then they're, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, I could have been an Olympian, and, and now it, they don't, it's very yeah. irritating. Um, so they don't, um, it's just not the same, so I don't like to talk about it because people, everybody says it. Everybody says it, whoever fights at one tournament, and they don't really know, like I, how close you were. Like now, you know, now, um, after, so after I retired in 2008, they changed the points system, and instead of qualifying through the Pan Am Union, which kept me off the team, 
they then switched it that you could qualify on the world ranking list. And they took, for women, they took the top, at first they took the top 14 in the world to go to London. And then now in uh, Rio, they took the top 18. And again, they'll take the top 18. So I was number nine in the world. So here, you know, it's just so frustrating to me because I retired and then they changed the rule and I would have qualified for the Olympics of my world rank by my own merit. And so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It it really it's difficult. Like it's it's really hard to. But, um, but when just, when you are coaching, you know? do you ever uh, mm -hmm. talk to the kids or even teenagers that are competing for them to do their best? I know that you push for the for push for the gold, oh, yeah. but just to be happy uh, yeah. to to accomplish something yeah. or don't put in a lot yeah. of pressure. I yes. think right. I, yeah, I totally don't put pressure. I don't think it's fair to say like, well, you have to win the gold because there's. Uh, there's levels to this. So sure, if you're fighting someone who like you always beat, and, and yes, there and maybe it's for a gold, the gold, then there maybe there's that pressure. But I don't like that's not the way I coach. I wouldn't say something like that because that's immediately kind of setting off um, yep. anxiety in their mind, and that's probably all they would focus on is that kind of stuff. And I don't really think. Um, I don't know too many coaches, honestly, that that say that like you have to win the gold. You know, um, I think the pressure, the mental health pressure, it comes from the pressure you put on yourself, unfortunately. And I know that pressure. I, you know, I've I've never really dealt with um, suicidal thoughts or anything. That's just not that's just not something I've dealt with. But I have dealt with depression, and I've I've um, I know what depression feels like, and it sucks, and it's a hard beast. But I think that a lot of that is self-induced mm -hmm. it's the pressure you put on yourself because you're projecting this thing to like your inner circle you know oh i'm this person and then you go home you come home from a tournament and here you are like i if you're fighting for a national title for example and you're um you get second of course that second at a national championship is yes. a huge accomplishment but when you go home and you go you know i used to work at hannaford and you go to back to hannaford and you're in the deli and You know, Bonnie from the deli says to you, hey, how'd you do? And you say, I got second. And they go, oh, next time. And it's like that kind of pressure. It's really yeah. dealing with that. And then having to not want to explain to you, oh, no, no, it's a big deal. I'm a badass. Like having to, it's that kind of puts pressure on you. And then you start like that could eat at you. Or, oh, somebody gave me all this money to go on this trip. And then you think like, oh, my God, I, I miss weight or I, I didn't fight good. I, now I'm how could I look at this person in the face? I let that down. I think it's a lot of self pressure mm -hmm. um, that you put on yourself. And it's, you know, it's how, hard. How, we lost. how do we manage uh, we that? Lost. How do you, do you have any tips to, to manage this type of pressure? Yeah. So I think like, I think that um, coaches and athletes should be, I think at coaches should be checking in before this is happening because you know, especially if you're a coach, you were a former athlete, you know, you know, you felt those pressures. So, you know, the athletes are feeling those pressures. So even if someone's happy, go lucky and they're, and they're seeming outwardly. Okay. You might, you, you have to know, like, you know what? I was outwardly that way and I struggled. So you still have to be checking in. And I think you have to be telling these kids like, Hey, this isn't your whole life. Mm -hmm. This isn't you. Okay. This is, this isn't your, your window to do sports is so small. You know, we have a kid, one of the, these girls that I coach, she is, um, tr she wants to be a doctor, you know? So I can tell you right now, if it was Jada, her name's Jada, if it was Jada that I was, uh, having this conversation with, I would, I would tell her like Jada, the sports person isn't 
isn't going to be the rest of your life. Jada the doctor is going to be the rest of your life. So you have to, you can't put, oh, my whole life matters. Sports is my whole life. It has to be like, no, sports is this tiny window of your youth. That's all it is. It's a, a Sports is a window of your youth and the rest of your life and what you invest your time in is who you are, you know, is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. You're going to be a doctor for 50 years and an athlete for... Oh, seven, well, yeah, you know? Un unless, so uh, unless you are dealing with someone that wants to live for judo the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, you can't, you can't, you got to retire it. You know, Father Time gets us all, like, you got to, uh, you know, <laughs> unless, yeah, of course, if you want to open a dojo or something, yes. But, I mean, it's just, I think that something that these, um, these, coaches can be doing is uh just just checking in more being more available unfortunately with suicide it's such a hard thing because everybody is usually blown away about you know taking they can't believe it and we lost a kid um that nobody expected would kill himself and i i watched that um the weight of gold documentary in it and there was a i don't want to get this wrong some kind of winter sport guy um I think it was a bobsledder. Sorry if it's wrong, but he, his best friend had no idea. And they were like two peas in a pod. She was, she was also an Olympian and, you know, he was an Olympian and, and our kid, Jack, that, um, that killed himself. He, he was going to be on this Olympic team, um, for sure. And so that just shows you that it doesn't matter if you're already an Olympian or you're about to be an Olympian, that mental health yeah. is bigger than that. And that depression that they're feeling, it's bigger than they're not thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to be an Olympian. Nothing's wrong in my life. It's It's got to be. So we have to be checking in, I think, on more kids. And, you know, we, we have all these outlets and the USOC has, you know, since this Michael Phelps movie came out, I think they have like big pushes on like, oh, there's all these outlets. There's all this. But it's really like it's. I think it really comes down to the people checking in yep. with you that you surround yourself with, and then also I think like having something else, having something else besides um, judo that you're good at. That's another or, or another goal. Knowing like okay, whether or not this small portion of, of my life doesn't work out, I know like I've always wanted to um, own a judo club. I've always wanted to have a club. I've wanted to have one since I was like 16 years old I so I know that that's what I do, mm. wanted to do for a living so when I didn't make it I didn't think like oh my god my life is over da, da, da. it was hard and believe me there's still some nights where it's hard and I think about it like yeah. gosh you know blah, but like I knew I, I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna try to change these these other kids lives and um, so I, I just knew that was there for me and I, I don't I can't speak to what someone who's suicidal is thinking but i don't know i hope they they have um a thought process of like oh okay yeah, they, they, they need to there's think about the roadmap uh roadmap and uh, yes. understand that the the sport as you said is just a period of time and even if they want to live with sport yeah. for example for coach or anything they need to have this roadmap yeah. and have clarity on this uh, yeah. so really important yeah and already be getting your coaching certifications and already, you know what I mean? Like, do be taking action steps um, toward, you know, toward your Yeah, that's your amazing. Uh, that's a very important aspect, mental health. Not only for professional athletes, but I would say to also amateurs, athletes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyone. I mean, there's so much pressure. Like, um, if you watch these sports shows, like Nick, Nick watches this show called, like, Friday Night Tykes, and it's about these little kids playing football in Texas. And I think they're like eight and these kids have pressure on themselves. And it's like, 
just it's just it doesn't matter they they might not go to the NFL they're eight years old but these it's just the pressure I think it doesn't matter you know pressure or, or those those thoughts aren't just reserved for Olympians or professional athletes I think everybody yeah. has those thoughts and I just think like yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting because I was talking to Isis, my daughter, yesterday about competing, uh, when is going to be her legs competition, jiu-jitsu. And mm -hmm. she was like, well, I don't think I want to compete right now. Um, I, and I, I started to dig to understand the why. And, uh, and the why was, uh -huh. she, was she said, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm afraid to lose. Um, and I was like, well, it, it's going to happen. You, you, you cannot lose yourself because if you don't compete because you are afraid mm -hmm. of losing it that you then then you've lost if you right. don't compete you've lost so if you're if you're afraid of losing and that's why you don't compete you have lost i think that uh that's a, you know that's very common like right. how old is she yeah i mean i i coach a bunch of kids that same age and uh it's just it's common you know my kids uh they don't want to compete but i say that's that's how you test yourself that's how you know that your training's paying off and that's how we know mm -hmm. what to adjust so yeah everybody can look good in practice but we don't know what we've got to fix because we don't know what what's not going to go right for you or what habits you know this and that that's super common usually after a couple um couple competitions yeah that goes away, yeah <laughs> I, I told her it's a, it's a great way to learn um it's, it's yeah. a great way for you to because some people they are really good at randori on their own gym but then when yeah. they go to oh, a competition, sure. they freeze. Oh, I, I can tell you firsthand. So Nick, uh, he always gets crushed in practice. Not crushed, but he gets thrown almost every single night. And, and this is no matter what club we're at, no matter where we're at, he gets thrown almost every single night. And he is probably one of the hardest people to score on in the world. Like when you get to a tournament, you know, like and, and all these people are like, oh, what's what's up with Nick sucks? Like he gets scored on all the time. And I'm like, practice, practice, baby. That doesn't mean anything. Like it, it matters when you're out there, when you're competing. So he, he is the opposite. I mean, I think he, one year, he, oh, okay. He's the opposite. Yeah. He, he's always has a, ba a bad practice or I wouldn't even say it's bad. I don't think getting thrown is bad. I think that if you are competing in practice, that's a problem because you're not, you're not putting yourself up uh, out there. And so we, oh, we used that's to have true. this you're thing. You're not exposing uh, yourself. You're not exposing yourself. So you're, playing safe and now you're not getting better and so we Nick and I used to say this thing for a while to our kids we would say uh, counters don't count counters don't count in practice and the reason why counters don't count in practice is because it means the other guys mm -hmm. attacking okay so if you're just countering someone you're waiting to counter that means they're working they're attacking they're getting better and they're figuring it out so that's a yeah. great that's a great anyway. point that's a great <laughs> would, point it, yeah because if he gets thrown more it's yeah. because he is exposing trying new things Exactly. And which is good, yes, yeah, which exactly is good, right. and, and and mainly yes. according to the new uh, judo rules that you have to be attacking all the time. Uh, very important to practice attack. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what they want now. Is they want you just nonstop attacking. You just gotta like run out there and try to lift everybody up yeah. <laughs> every exchange. Well, uh, you have a lot of stories to tell. We could go for hours and hours, but we are uh, approaching the end here. I just want to say thank you very much, uh, Carrie. It's a, it was a pleasure talking to you. you uh, thank you so much, Jerry. I, I, the, the hour flew your example <laughs> of competing after 10 weeks, uh, a shoulder surgery, is mind-blowing. I'm, I'm shocked here. I, I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, you. that's incredible. Uh, 
<laughs> I maybe I wish you could go back in time and beat that Italian girl for me, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm just kidding. No, I know that this whole podcast is about overcoming, and I, I have overcome a lot in my life, and I think that um, you know, as a result, I'm a good coach. I'm a good girlfriend. I'm a good person, um, and it's just how you overcome. Yeah, it, it helped to life. build so the character that we all know today. Uh, strong character, yes, strong mindset. Yes, exactly mental toughness i mean yes. nowadays you you are probably way more indestructible mentally than you were when you started yes i would definitely agree. <laughs> all right my friend thank you very much for your time <laughs> thank you so much Yuri. awesome right, thanks care. so bye -bye. much bye-bye